the FT. Hello and welcome to Alphaville's Extraordinarily Infrequent Podcast. This is technically our Christmas edition. I'm joined by my colleague Isabella Kaminska, who's battled through snow and survived a bird strike to be with us. And we have our special guest, Dylan Grice, formerly of SockGen's global strategy team, and now off to the dreaded buy side. Dun, 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 dun. <laughs> I thought that was the sale side, wasn't it? No. The buy side. Is that the buy side? Is okay. First question, um, Dylan, where are you off to? Are you at liberty to tell us or... It's going to have to be a 2013 Okay, okay, um, sad. I think at the end of January. Okay, um, cool. We'll uh, we'll go public, but until then, I'm keeping it very quiet. Okay, well, we await the announcement. Um, Until then, he's an independent agent. So, obvious question. Your last few popular delusions notes have been bearish, fear of inflation, looking for safe havens. Mm -hmm. Has anything cheered you up since I last read? Not really. (laughs) (laughs) I've kind of given up making forecasts about, certainly about the near term. Because of you know, I'm absolutely dreadful at it. <laughs> I'm hopeless, and I suppose my kind of approach and, and all of the popular delusions wasn't so much what you think is going to happen, because it's actually very easy to to have a view. You know, I think it's more interesting, really, to ask yourself what would you do if your view is wrong, right? And what do you do about your view? I think Howard Mark says it's it's one thing to have a macro view; it's another thing to act as though it's right. So a lot of my kind of research and what I'll be doing in my new job is almost trying to avoid <laughs> taking a macro bet rather than taking a macro bet, if that makes sense. Okay, so you're saying that you'll be there to take your almost the cockroach investment strategy. Is that the idea? I mean, the cockroach investment strategy was just was kind of based off, it was based on the idea of building a portfolio which is robust to all sorts of different scenarios because everyone's got their favourite scenario some people's favourite scenario is deflation and other people's favourite scenario is inflation and this is all very interesting and the fact is nobody actually knows which one is, is going to happen I think it's much more interesting I find it much more interesting to try and build something which is robust to each scenario which is going to protect your capital and hopefully grow your capital regardless of which scenario actually comes Okay, so capital pass. protection at all costs Well, not at all costs but, you know, which is robust to uncertainty robust to the fact that actually you just don't know. You might have a preference, you know, a favourite scenario, but you know, you have to be honest, you don't really know. Okay, I might drag Izzy in here then. It's more about capital preservation. I think there's a reason why we're at this point where everyone's so obsessed with capital preservation. And that's because capital growth has kind of run its natural course in the model that we have come to sort of be familiar with. It all relates to my theory on abundance and on technology and how at this point, basically, can you get yields when there's actually a diminishing return with capital reallocation? I know Dylan and I have discussed this previously because I think his view is that there's not really anything different this time around, isn't it? It's more that it's just capital reallocation as as always, right? For me, what you seem to be describing is this kind of relentless onward march of human ingenuity, of of entrepreneurial ingenuity, which kind of it's a part of the human condition. It's always been there. It's it's always been true and it always will be there. So you might be right, but I think that there will always be someone somewhere who comes up with some kind of clever idea to do more with less. There will always be entrepreneurs somewhere. And so you know, from my perspective, when people talk about equities as an asset class, it doesn't really mean much to me. I don't know what it means, equity. I don't know what equities means. What I do want to have some kind of exposure to is that kind of entrepreneurial creativity, which you generally do with kind of equity participations, right? So Dylan's point would be that 
this is just another kind of wave of the invisible hand, whereas Izzy's is you're heading towards a steady state. Well, my point is kind of that we're nearly at the point where the economic problem has been solved. And I know that sounds really controversial mm. when you look at how much scarcity there still is in the world. I mean, I'm not there declaring end of poverty or anything like that. But um, I think Paul Krugman recently kind of really defined the issue very well. well he took something you've been writing about for a while and brought it into the mainstream. Oh, thanks for bringing that up, sure. David. <laughs> <laughs> but yes, I think what he really put his finger on is that at some point, monopolistic sort of incentives come into play. And that is what prevents the scarcity pockets being depleted. And you get to a point where you have a new kind of capital rentier, the owner of the technology patent. So This is robot rentiers. Yes, exactly. So you have money flowing in one direction only. And that's fine. I mean, the capital reallocation process, it still works, except that there is now a diminishing return in that it's not that you're you're having capital reallocated from a less productive industry into a more productive industry. It's that an overly productive industry is now being sort of presented with competition from an industry that might be more efficient but has the opportunity to create a monopoly. Before we go back to that, because I do think we want to touch on the patent idea in two seconds, I mm-hmm. might just ask Dylan if even abstracting from mm-hmm. the invisible hand idea, there's still an enormous swathe of the world that has to catch up. The, the only issue I'd have with your... Uh, and yeah, we kind of discussed this at length. I, I just don't think that you do banish scarcity. You can't. And it's an entrepreneur's entire existence is driven by the creation of new scarcities. You know, So Apple creates <laughs> iPhones, which are scarce. It has a monopoly over iPhones. So you know there will always be that scarcity and therefore those returns to capital. I suppose the other thing, in terms of the kind of technology and the, uh, you know, the increasing productivity of capital... Then again, you know, you, you, you've seen over the last few decades, few centuries, the manufacturing share of, of GDP just keeps falling and falling and falling um, you know, for, for that reason. So you, you just by default, you get this much bigger service sector because... That ties in very well with what um, Krugman's been writing about as well. It's a shift from human capital to physical capital. And when you have that shift, the idea is that obviously there's an incentive at some point to create artificial scarcities because when your competition is free, so you can keep making efficiencies via the capital reallocation process. But once you get to the point where more supply, more efficiency just crashes the market, the incentive now changes. It isn't for more efficiency. It's for less efficiency or of monopoly control of efficiency. Well, again, I, entrepreneurs are in the business of creating scarcity. You, know, you might call it artificial, excuse me, but there's nothing artificial about the demand for iPhones. That's a very real demand, and it panders. There's nothing artificial about the demand for luxury goods. This actually panders to and indulges a very, very human characteristic, you know, a kind of status, a particular personality trait. Can mm-hmm. we change that from artificial <coughs> scarcity to unfair protection then? Yeah, I think that's an, another good way of looking at it, mm. personally. I get exactly what Dylan's saying, but the added element, I think, is that there comes a point where those artificial scarcity manoeuvres become kind of redundant because mm. eventually society gets so efficient that the monopolies start to lose control and you have to either become more protectionist, more like defensive of all those copyrights. I mean, that's why you're seeing this, I believe, huge boom in patent battles because it's like, wow, mm. we really need to take control. Otherwise, 
you know, all those geeks who sit on computers for free and just put stuff out there in the For the record, FD Alphaville likes geeks. <laughs> yeah, so they, they're putting stuff out for free. They mm. really now jeopardize the whole capital system mm. because mm. the alternative isn't just something that gives you profit or better profit. It's uh, free. And that kind of changes everything, I think. Yeah, no, I mean, I don't know. Is the, is the simple answer. I think I'm not quite sure. I fully agree that it, you know this kind of provision of so much stuff for free jeopardizes a capitalist system. I think what actually does jeopardize a capitalist system is idiot politicians. <laughs> I'm, <much laughs> more, I'm more worried about that than you know than people kind of doing stuff not necessary. Are we rounding pe- off this podcast on inflation fear? You know, politicians do crazy things. They do stupid things. They always have done. I think they always will do. And um, you look around. You look at. You know, I mean, any investor will tell you that if you really want to understand a business, or the, the quality of, of, of a business, the first, so some would say the first and last thing you do is understand the people at the top, right? Because it's their, it's their lead that cascades down the whole organisation, and this must be true. And I think if you look at the people at the top, there's, I think there's an absence of integrity, there's an absence of, of honour, there's an absence of honesty, there's an absence of capability, um, there's an absence of competency. I look at the potential kind of risks, I look at the kind of world that we're moving into, and again, I don't have a crystal ball, but I think the demographic thing alone probably tells you it's going to be much slower. Um, but growth. not if everybody has their own <coughs> personal robot. Very true. Um, I mean, that solves the demographic problem, doesn't it? Robot multiplication, robot demand. So this is if we start picking robots accurately. Well, these robot demand. Are these robots scarce or or not scarce? Well, it depends who's got the controlling patent, doesn't it? If it's Darth Vader. Star Wars versus Star Trek. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Not very, not very. So you're 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 kind of you're bullish as long as Darth Vader doesn't hold the patent. Yes, exactly. It's either the Star Trek uh, future or the. Darth Vader, Star Wars, you know, Monopoly system. On that note, I think we're going to have to call FT Alphaville's rambling Christmas podcast to an end. (laughs) And we hope you all get, I think, golden robots in your stockings. And a 3D printer from me, please. From Izzy. I'll just have a a bar of gold's fine. (laughs) Okay. That's Dylan Grice, Isabella Kaminska, and me saying Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. For more downloads, go to ft.com forward slash podcasts. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns.